Fat Bear is high! In honor of Cocaine Bear, what's your most memorable cinematic cocaine moment? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and this movie is not all that fondly remembered, but I do think that Colin Farrell's cocaine stash and horrible bosses is pretty memorable. <laughs> uh, I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with uh, The Wolf of Wall Street, which has many, many instances of snorting cocaine, I believe, but there is one where Jordan Belfort is talking to camera, talking about being the shit, and then snorts a long line of cocaine. I think Martin Stewart says he puts the camera right behind the the hundred dollar bill as it's being snorted up. That's cinema, baby. But uh, remember, retweets are not endorsements. I don't believe Scorsese would want you to do that cocaine. Oh no! Please don't bring back up the Oscar debates of ten years ago. <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I was gonna go with Andy Hall because you you know if you've seen that movie, you recognize that. But I thought of a better one, which is the exact same thing. In Crocodile Dundee, Mick Dundee helps a yippie do his cocaine by dumping it in warm water and then telling him to inhale the vapors. And he does it and he gets away with it because everybody just trusts his his accent, I would guess. When you say a yippie, you mean like the Abby Hoffman yippies? Yuppie? Yuppie. A yuppie. Ah, a yippie! That makes more sense. You know what? I'm gonna keep that in and not re-roll that. That's the, that's the type of podcast we do. We're honest that was me here. being an honorary Jordan Hoffman and getting your uh, 60s and 70s uh, countercultures straight. Yeah, I know a little bit about things before I was born, but not everything about things before I was born. Yippee! Mm. You saw me. You've seen Annie Hall. Yeah, but after hey. 1984, I've seen I've seen everything. Know everything. Don't worry about it. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you, it's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 424.25. David's still gone. It's pandemic 159. <laughs> it's the week of Wednesday, February 22nd. That's the day that in 1934, fake Capra's It Happened One Night premiered. You guys have both seen that, right? They probably were doing cocaine at that party. If Babylon I mean, taught us anything, right? I saw Babylon. I mean, it happened when I was a little bit after the activities of Babylon. The Nellie Leroy's of the world had already, uh, <laughs> you know, flunked out of the sound era. But uh, yeah, you know. I assume they were still doing cocaine then. Or maybe they were picking up a and new drug. Not that you then? would see it on screen because it's held up as a prime example of what Hollywood did in the Hayes Code era, even though it's technically a pre-code film. You couldn't do... What drugs could you do under the Hayes Code? Uh, uh, Tylenol? Rufies. Mostly. Oh, okay. Yo, roofies. Lots of roofies. <laughs> Bathtub gin and roofies. Uh, as I said, David is still uh, away with his new baby, um, probably playing Marvel Snap, but we decided not to talk about that this week. And partly, I guess, because we have reviews. That's right. We have a review. Let's see if this one's angry at us. It's <laughs> five stars. It comes from Darby Act is the name of the reviewer. And the subject is amazing. Great film podcast. They're right. Time for my ninth annual Fighting in the War Room review. Woo! I want to say thank you to the four hosts and Jordan and Joanna who provide me with my favorite moments of moments of most week. My favorite moments of moments of most weeks. That's what it says. It's hard when I don't have a lot of film friends, but you all help my mind dive deep into the film and TV that I'm watching. Smiley face emoticon. A question. How do you deal with or handle the following questions if you get them? There's three. Why can't you just enjoy it? Or why do you have to analyze any everything? Or why can't you just turn off your brain and enjoy it? 
As someone who really loves film and TV, I get these questions a lot when I'm talking about movies with folks. Thanks. Have a great 2023, my parasocial friends. Do people ask you guys this question? I mean, our commenters on Polygon will sometimes be like, why are you thinking so much about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? I feel and, like in that case, you can be like, well, why are you reading this? That's uh, 100%. Really I will go in the comments right and be like, you don't have to engage with this. We like to think about it we we go there uh actually with avatar was the one that was really sending people on a tear like we wrote a story about james cameron and hayao miyazaki um and the interesting points of of uh where they cross over and someone was just like why are you doing this like i don't know we saw something interesting we wanted to talk about it why is this a, an interrogation but i the turn your brain off thing i think is is maybe more common in critical discourse even from people who should have be thinking you know like i feel like political pundits are on twitter all the time being like the critics don't know what they're talking about just turn your brain political off pundits. <laughs> oh boy um <laughs> but there's really no answer guys. get off twitter i don't know what to say to that question anymore i think i probably think less and try and enjoy more i go into everything trying to let it wash over me and think the least amount I can and do my thinking after, after the fact. Um, that's when I am turning my brain back on. I try and be an experiential in the movie theater. But what do what do you guys think? What is there any response to this anymore? I mean, I, I feel mean, like if someone's asked, oh, go ahead, Dave. I know I like Patch's take on it, where it's like that is what I'm doing when I'm consuming the media, like all of you, unless you're getting these questions because you're a uh, person who asks obvious questions during the movie. Which I also make room for. I just don't. I don't like it. Uh, but like, I yeah. While I'm watching movies, uh, my brain isn't like, oh, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna roast this thing on Twitter after it's done. Actually, that was happening during Jurassic World Dominion because there's a lot of downtime <laughs> in that movie. Uh, but otherwise, I'm I'm in the movie most of the time, uh, really deep uh, until it's over. And then if I'm talking about it after it's over. That's actually a sign of me interrogating the movie and having fun with it. So if you're like having a discussion with your friends about a movie and you have different opinions, you're no, nobody's necessarily wrong. I mean, there's are some things I think are objectively wrong, but nothing like that's not a overanalyzing. That's participating in the conversation. Like, I don't uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, I would imagine this comes I mean, out with like F9 and people being like, you're overthinking this one. Just enjoy the ride. And I'm like. I'm not overthinking it. In fact, I'm not thinking at all. My, uh, I'm. It's unfortunate. I. It's too shallow. It's. I'm bored. It's boring. Um, yeah. Something. Give me. Katie, something. Did you watch a car go into space in F9? Uh, I don't think I ever saw F9 actually. I'm behind in my in my Fast and Furious movies. Um, I just feel like someone asking you that is usually like it's not bad faith, but like they're not here to have the conversation with you that you want to have. Like it's okay to then just be like, well, you know, we'll just move on to another topic. Like. Mm. Not that they'll want to talk, you know, they can talk about another movie with you. I, I feel like you hear that from people who just kind of don't want to have something that they care about analyzed or picked apart or anything. And like, that's OK. People don't have to think of movies in that way. I think if if someone asks you that, you don't need to have the conversation. So with the, them. the answer should be, uh, this is why I listen to fighting in the war room. Yeah, they're now, my real friends. Excuse me while I go back to my mm -hmm. podcast. A, a podcast so impressive you could absolutely hate it but listen to it for eight years 
Let me turn my brain back on and think of what uh, Vava Vuma Thurman is ranking the Mr. Skin <laughs> sex scenes with A-listers this week. I am so sad that's going to keep being a callback. I okay. know. Vava I know. Vuma Thurman. It's, it's a I'm good surprised name. you haven't pulled up. Actually, we have a surprise, a, a mystery mini segment coming up. If it's another work from Vava Vuma Thurman. Yeah. I promise you, it is not. Might have to cancel the podcast. <laughs> it's gonna. It was patches all along. He was always Vava Vuma Thurman. the real Vava Vuma. That little side gig at Mr. Skin, you know, bring the it bills. In. If you, if you would like to uh, put a review on the podcast, you could, uh, if you were in the U.S., head inside the podcast app, the Apple Podcast app, that's where it does it the most good, and we'll read it on the show. Or you could email us your international review slash other thoughts to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. Keep doing it. Eventually, David's going to come back, and who knows how he's going to read your stuff. <laughs> All right, Katie, this weekend, what did you do with your family? We have to talk about it. So look, it's President's Day weekend. Uh-huh. Uh, there are two three-day holidays in January and February in which uh, you don't want to go to like skiing or anything because it's really crowded because everyone wants to get out. Also, it's not but snowing. It kind of Is it outside. snowing where you, where you are? Uh, it was snowing when we went skiing in uh, late January, but no longer. It is basically well, Ski spring. business must be cratering. Um, anyway. So these two weekends are impossible because they go on forever and the weather sucks outside and there's just nothing to do and nowhere to go. So Monday came around uh, and we had a whole other day to get through before the kids would go back to school. And um, there are no kids movies in theaters right now. There's <laughs> Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which is cleaning up. And as we've discussed, uh, I've seen it at a screener of it. My kids have watched it at home many times. Um, so we went and saw Titanic. I don't, I don't understand why. <laughs> the weekend was near, far, and wherever you are, you will go see <laughs> Titanic and re-release. Now, did you see it in like 4K, 3D, high frame rate? No. The way it's oh been god, I forgot it is in high frame rate into... in some places, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I did not see it in high frame rate. I don't even know if it was playing in high frame rate uh, near me. I didn't look into it. I went to see it at a very uh, crappy multiplex at a noon matinee, uh, where it was unlikely there would be other people there. And for a while, we had the whole theater to ourselves, which was great because I was like an act however I want. And then like four like. 20 something women went up in the way back row um and i really wanted Part to ask them through? if they had, no i mean like 15 minutes in they okay. didn't as much um i don't even think they had gone back to titanic <laughs> uh, as you would say um i really wanted to ask them like what their experience with the movie was because like i think they may have been born after it came out uh but they left before the ending which is crazy like the minute like it's panning over rose's photos they were out of there and it's like guys wait, <laughs> i mean one the movie's minute, over get, by you, then it is but like the some people have places arguably to be. the best part is at the very end um but uh both my kids uh, yeah let's, let's do the whole thing which is a little bit <laughs> those 20 year olds those 20 year olds were just there for the historical inaccuracies and then they <laughs> fucked right uh, up no 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 names katie how old are your two sons um i think i have given their names on the podcast before well, but whatever we don't have to. Uh, six time. and a half and newly four newly four years old four years old now i know i'm not a prude Look, it was a prude. long weekend this is a three hour pg-13 probably should be r for the amount of violence uh, on the boat mm, at the end it's uh, not you see kate winslet's you... boobs 
Now, yes. admittedly, so, four right. years ago, your son knew that image very well. Like you know, He was getting full loads of boobs all the time. I mean, you don't know what the PG stands for in PG-13, right, Patches? I understand. Parental guidance. Uh, yeah, so well, let's talk about your parental like guidance. They were receiving guided. parental Okay, <laughs> I did think about this, because so I had, we had watched it, like, in bits and pieces at home, and we kind of, like, fast-forwarded okay. through the, like, naked scene, but, like, there's not, it's not that, why, well, I'm sorry, that alarm keeps going off. Um... There's not really sex in the movie. There is the famous car scene in which you see very little. You see them kissing and then being sweaty. And then there is the naked drawing scene in which he's like drawing her. Like, okay, let's be clear about something. I got to throw to Dave here. Dave, is this any, is this just a scene in a movie? This scene of Kate Winslet and I think if you are a 13 year old boy, it means a lot. I think if you're a six year old boy, it doesn't mean anything. Well, who knows what you've activated in your. Horn dog song. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like, I think if I've activated the naked human form is worth drawing, I think that's fine. It's sex positive. I mean, I did lean over and say, you don't draw a picture of anybody naked unless they ask you to, <laughs> just to make sure that a lesson. That's, that's smart. That's that's good. Smart. I don't know when that would come up, <laughs> just in case. I mean, Leo My gets permission. With... Jack gets permission. Yeah, she's just yeah, she, she wants. No yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. My friends with similarly aged children consistently, like every three months, have the updated, like, you know, stranger conversation, no one's allowed to see you naked, you know, no one's allowed to touch you, blah, blah, blah. They do that at the doctor very routinely. Anytime they need to, like, check them in a private area, they're like, okay, we're only doing this because your mom's here, and this is only at the doctor's office. And I'm like, yeah, that is it. Yeah. I like this development in society, but we're getting off topic. Well, I I think the big thing for me is is no shame here of bringing your kids to this. When you said it, you even, I saw you talking about this in the public social media forum uh, and saying that it sounds insane that you would do mm-hmm. this. You know that this sounds insane. And it does. Um, but I guess I even <laughs> I am wondering why. Like, at, at what age is it okay to see X, Y, and Z? How we would even know that. We often, I feel like I see all the culture writers and, and pundits talking about, like, kids need grown-up movies. Kids need to be inched toward the darkness of, of real life and kids' movies... Mm. 20 years ago, it used to have Edge. I just watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids again with my child, and that movie is Man, out to scare you, right? If that playing in theaters, though, oh, however, be, we would have absolutely been there. That would rules. Um, we were also corrected uh, off podcast that there aren't actually any Oreos in Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. It's just a generic just sandwich cookie. But yeah, thank <laughs> it's a Hydrox. <laughs> oh, wow. Generic store book. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think we're all on the same page where kids don't need just minions until... They're teenagers, and then they can fuck off and do whatever they want. But like, there's something about showing Titanic to a four-year-old room. Like, is this? Where is this line? What? What no, creates I, this well, line? Okay. I mean, the all I think when when I heard this, I I imagined Titanic and the end, where I'm pretty sure you see like falling bodies slamming into the bars. Cameron has a vicious side to him, which we again saw in Avatar: <laughs> The Way of Water, where people are getting their limbs fucking ripped off by tolkons. Um but the, and this shows up in Titanic in the third act. I, but if memory serves yeah. me, it's not as vicious as what's in Avatar. I think, and also with um, Charlie, the six-year-old, like he is interested in how movies are made. He's gone to see movies with me in theaters a lot, and so in that scene in particular, 
we've talked a lot about stunt people and watched mm. behind the scenes videos of them like on their skateboards like rolling down the deck and about how they like built parts of the deck so that they were soft so we kind of get into the logistics of how it's made as a movie it's like a stunt show um, at universal studios or something kind of yeah i mean you can watch a lot of behind the scenes stuff on that and then um sam who's younger spent a lot of that scene uh, drawing on my phone because he got bored so <laughs> Uh, I had a feeling that he moment. would not really cluck. And but so with Titanic specifically, because like we've watched it, it's a big touchdown in my family. My mom and my sister and I watch it basically every year. So they have seen bits and pieces of it. It is a movie they are familiar with. Like, I don't think I could have taken them. I don't think they would have made it through the sound of music, you know, like a much more kid friendly movie, but just like a long grown up movie. Like it's something that like had a meaning to them outside of just being a movie. And then it gets really entertaining. Like it. That movie plays. You don't need but me to tell you that. The first um, half is, but, is really character stuff. Does that entertain younger yeah, audiences? But it, is, that, is like Jack and Rose like, interesting? To- there's like moments that it like lulled for them, but like it's funny. Like every scene kind of gets you somewhere. Like there's energy. You get to the dancing below deck pretty quickly. There's all the like big shots of the ship sailing off into the sea. Like I, it, it doesn't have slow moments. Um, and I realize I'm not really an objective observer of titanic but like it kept i mean charlie didn't get up out of his seat he didn't go to the bathroom sam was a different story but we made it through to the end somehow because he wanted to see the boat split in half what, what parts of titanic are boring I'm trying to think if i there, there aren't boring parts no master thing. entertainer at work uh yeah um I, but what you were saying about like when is it okay to take a kid to like it just varies like you just know your kid you know what your kid is ready for and like it's fun to show them something that they might not be ready for um usually you would do that at home because just test something out <laughs> and then like and let them walk away if they want to like i took them to see titanic because i've seen titanic a bunch and if we had left early it would have been fine um and that's you know a decent attitude to take about it too i, I will say i think it, i'm more scared of taking my child to a despicable me movie than i would be titanic mostly because I just, yeah you can't get hooked on titanic kind of I mean, I, box you're gonna you can open. as a teenager <laughs> but to your point the hormones are not uh exploding at that point so i don't think you can get fully hooked on titanic the way people were hooked in 1997 which as you know no was like an addiction <laughs> although tonight uh in their watch time sam asked to watch the part where the titanic hits the iceberg so um you know unlike in 1997 when i went and saw it in theater seven times we can just watch it at home whenever we I want guess, yeah just pull it up yeah i don't have to go to blockbuster to get our uh, double vhs set uh what i'm learning later from this conversation is that when my parents took me to see the teenage mutant ninja turtles movie in theaters in 1990 and i was also six i actually got what patches is worried about I got weapons-based violence right. based off an IP that was made about toys and a movie that was dark and sort of based on comics that were for adults. Uh, but I absolutely loved it. And I think I'm fine. I think I turned out fine. But I think it also leads to what Katie's talking about with Charlie, where it's like watching that movie made me be like, how did they make the turtles? Mm-hmm. And for a while, my mom tried to hold the line where it's like, no, they're just the real turtles. But then finally she was like, <laughs> oh, okay, no, fine. Here's a you know, magazine <laughs> article about the Jim Henson company. Yeah. Uh, which was great. I think weapons based violence is a big thing. Like we've watched the Avatar movies, but like that's about as much guns as I'm ready mm. to bring into the mix at this point. Um, and then in Titanic, like there are bad guys, but like there's not the kind of like there's not cruelty and there's not like there's greed, but it's really abstract. Like I think the character traits of what is being brought into the story, like what aspects of human nature are revealed by the story. Billy Zane doesn't shoot is... a gun at Jack at some point. 
Oh yeah, but yeah, no, but no, I don't know. First of all, he's bald and he looks evil the whole time, so it's pretty well telegraphed. Yeah, he's just like and, the guy who's like making bad choices. And your son was like, "I love yeah. him. He's the Phantom. He can do no wrong." Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, Billy Zane. Okay, so like for me, seeing this movie on the big screen for the first time since 1998, like a, I noticed details that I had never. Yes, seen I want to hear about the, the revelations okay. of your screen. The as big well. one that I can point out is that you know Fabrizio has like that Swedish girl he dances with, like with the blonde hair below sure. deck. He sees her when they're first getting to their room. They just jumped on the boat. Like uh, they're walking down the hallway to get to their room. And he like looks back at her and she looks at him and they smile. They like have a moment. I had never noticed that before. Uh, And then like a lot of the crew people who you see later on, like um, Yoan Griffith, who's later Mr. Fantastic. Like you see him in the very beginning of the movie. I'd never noticed that before. Um, But but then like Billy Zane's performance, like it was perfect on the big screen. It is perfect. I've always been like more of a skeptic about him. But so many of those like big old performances really land on that scale. What what Billy Zane? What scene do you think sings because it's Zane? Because it sings because it's Zane? Because it's him. Because Um, he's what of what he's doing in the movie. Like, where do you see it working? Um, where they go and get her after she's almost fallen off the back of the boat and he's kind of doing like, Rose is displeased, what to do? And he's making all these kind of like snide faces about uh, how hilarious it'll be to invite Jack to dinner. Um, it's just like big villain stuff. Uh, but it works in that context. I was so scared of him when I saw the movie. Um, probably because you were like... Yeah. Like scared? Like that was the scary part? Yeah, because I found his like wealth and uh handsomeness to be intimidating and then on top of that he locked jack in the bottom of the titanic i and i found Mm. the the drowning of it all to be really terrifying when the boat is filling up with water i found i still find those effects to be really visceral and that's where i thought of your kids where i'm like yeah. If you don't know how this is done which is a great way of like poking holes a little bit it's still magnetic to know you know now 30 what is it 20 years later what what are anniversaries 25 25 um, <laughs> you've seen so many images of the set in mexico and and like building the ships mm-hmm. and submerging them on jibs and stuff and it's just it's incredible what they built and what to know about the making of this film and it doesn't lose its magic for that if anything as i said it's it it feels like watching the Universal Studios special effects tour or something. Um, but I, yeah, to, to, to go into it with that knowledge is probably helpful and not being completely traumatized by the drowning of it all. That really fucking freaked yeah. me out. Oh, like where, like where Jack and Rose almost drown, like that part where they're stuck in the bottom. Yes. Where they're stuck in the bottom and they're like gasping for air and trying to like yeah. duck under the doorways that are already submerged to get higher up in the boat. And I, I just yeah. found the, the old couple in bed to be one of the, the sad i'm like oh they die and the way they die is just horrible it's not dying in bed holding your loved one like that's 10 seconds before you really die and inhale all this water and just feel awful drowning it sucks it sucks to be on the titanic <laughs> that's what i think hot <laughs> take don't do yeah. it don't don't take a ride don't, on the titanic don't go on the titanic but let your kids watch titanic yeah, if they're interested, like the odds of them actually watching the whole thing are so many. They want to know more um, about the history. Well, so this is how insane my family has gone. My nephew has gotten, who's about to turn five, has gotten very into the actual boat. He's scared of the movie when they've like watched it at home. He doesn't want to see the scary parts, but he's interested in like 
Robert Ballard and like the decks of the boat. So I, the Robert Ballard book that I got from the second grade book fair before, well before the movie came out, to be clear, uh, my nephew now has it. And um, he may or may not have a Titanic themed birthday cake. Whoa. His birthday party next month. There's a lot going on in my family. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to have fun at that birthday with that birthday cake that he probably wouldn't like, but you could like throw ice at it. You could crack it in half. It's going to be super fun. Uh, because of David Ehrlich, I learned that you can buy like Titanic shaped ice molds uh, off the internet. So I've been trying to convince him to get that. <laughs> That's a, the Titanic would have hated that. <laughs> You're like making me out of my greatest enemy. I don't, I don't approve of that. Patches, uh, what are you going to take your, what are you going to show your kid that, um, might be too much for her but i don't expand her horizon i thought back to the future was going to be that this summer but we we successfully did that and we're very into back to the future now so so was she scared of billy zane he's everywhere (laughs) run (laughs) Uh, if she could take billy zane and you can't i'm afraid uh he has cooler sunglasses in back to the future he's a little less threatening so unfortunately he doesn't get to be in um oh no he's it's He's in two. He has the 3D glasses in one, right? He has big ass glasses. Yeah, maybe they're 3D glasses. One of those wearing like full on like cardboard 3D glasses. Yeah, one of them, but I don't think it's Zane because you can see Zane's beautiful eyes. That's true. Somehow. Um, My my kids have watched Back to the Future. And Back to the Future has stuff that's like scary and weird, but if you're a kid, you don't really know that it's scary. Like all the stuff about like kissing his mom. Like I watched that when I was a little kid. Like it doesn't clock at all. All that stuff's only dawning on me now to be quite yeah clear. like there's there's ways that you can show kids movies that they're not old and that's like not for them that has stuff that's not even that it goes over their heads like they're just going to pay attention to different aspects of it and i think that's okay too back to the future arguably more traumatizing because there's like sexual violence on mm-hmm. not, not yeah, to, a, not that to like a really... disgusting degree but like biff's hand pulls back from from those dress thrills yeah we really glossed over that George mcfly opens the door yeah, well, there's the uh, in Titanic where they think that's what Jack's doing, which he um, he saves her from the end of the boat, and then we kind of gloss over that part. Um, I'm they, so happy. For you. Back to the Future Three was scary for them because of the tension of the train, like the like, are they going to get off? Like there, there's tension mm. in that scene that's really different from what's in Titanic in an interesting way, um, and that's the part that they have called scary. Well, at least I got to see Kate Winslet's boobs. Uh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, Billy Zane is not the guy with the 3D glasses. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I was just, I was just thinking. Imagine being Kate Winslet and shooting a movie in 1998 and showing your boobs. I'm still having that effect. Now it's out there in high frame rate 3D 4K. The 3D looked pretty good. I had a good time seeing it in 3D. Nice. Okay, for our mini segment tonight, you know, we've had a lot of raunchy stuff uh, in the last few weeks. So I'm, I'm, we're, I'm, we're, we're working blue I'm dialing these days. down. No, I'm dialing down. We're, 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 we have to be sensational on some level, compete with all the, the movie podcasts out there. Um, not tonight. Tonight, we're just going to talk about some personal stuff. Do you guys have um, anxiety to this day or dreams about being in high school? Like, do you have, <laughs> do you get worried about doing your homework? when you're waking in the middle of the night as a 30 something 
I have a very specific variation on that based on my own high school experience, which was I like actual high school. I sort of like figured it out. But as part as as part of that, um, I also got to, you know, my parents were fortunate enough that I would get to like see the world and stuff. So I got to go on like some trips with either schools or uh, tourism companies. And when those happened, uh, we would all sort of like get together and I would have like a video camera or I would be trying to like play the class clown and I would sort of like try to rally the troops. And on one of these vacations, someone just put me in charge of the kids while like the adults went and did something, What? which I know it must have put like, I don't know if I had to like watch them or make sure they were all I ready to get on the bus. Like Titanic was bad. It was something. <laughs> it was something like that. I think I was like 15. And it made a hook in my brain where I have reoccurring, uh, like nightmares, I guess you Whoa. would call them, where I have to lead my high school class out of a hotel room in some foreign country to a place. And wow. they are not, they're not cooperating with me. <laughs> this is why we play video games, because it's basically the same premise, except you're awake. <laughs> Um, Katie, do you have anything like this? Do you, are you haunted I by high school? I had more like I haven't graduated high school dreams in my early twenties. Like it's kind of faded away now. Like a lot of like I don't have enough credits to graduate because when oh, I yeah. oh, I was yeah. a senior in high school, I just had like real like daytime anxiety, being like, oh my god, like what if I had too many absences, or like what if like I didn't turn this thing in and they're not gonna, like I was so afraid that they wouldn't let me graduate, which is just like. They were ready to get rid of me. Like, why in the world? Like, I just could not process that. Like, no one would benefit from denying sure. me a high school diploma. Um, I don't really have reoccurring nightmares lately. Well, that's good. This is actually yeah. this is only the sub level of my real oh. inquiry here. Um, we're going deeper inside to, the to dream. Be, to be personal, I I do have dreams like this to this day. One is about I did not attend any Spanish classes, and now I have to take a Spanish final. That is something that's that's a classic. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got. I, I often have. I do not remember my locker combination, and I struggle <laughs> in the middle of the night to think of my high school locker combination. Um, do you is, ever remember it? Like what? I know like, that your, the number like, twenty-five was in it. Yes, I have a hazy idea of what my actual high school locker combination was, and it's that form of anxiety where I'm like, I know one of the numbers. Can I get the other two? And then I can't mm -hmm. sleep until, and then and I'm awake at like 3 a.m. And then you wake up in real life and you're sitting there trying to remember. Yes, exactly. Um, and then, and then yeah. classic theater kid like, wait, I'm going on? I didn't practice at all. Like, <laughs> I've never been in MAME. Um, but all of this leads me to thinking about a, a new level of anxiety, which is uh, not to dwell on our children here on this podcast that's for young people and well, being yeah cool. i mean that's that's the source of really but um thinking about like our kids going and also now going through this uh katie i specifically speak to you where maybe your son is already getting like homework or we're we're entering like taking test age and we're in first grade and not getting homework which i support wow. no one should have homework for first graders Just um, out there but eventually they will have homework and eventually they'll take yes. tests and I was thinking about all these feelings of of what high school like. There were times when I was I was a weepy kid. I'd be like, "This is too much fucking shit." I was just crying at home in, in like seventh grade, eighth grade. I got a hang of myself a little in high school, but it was still at that at a certain point. I just stopped doing homework. What I really was thinking <laughs> about, like, do you find life today to be harder than 
middle school or high school. Do you think the no. hardest pioneer My in life, life? Like Yes. Is your like, life now oh, yeah. actually does life become more difficult after high school or does it get progressively easier? Now everyone is going through all sorts of different life. We're very privileged to have the jobs that we sure. do and the paths that we do. Some people work in coal mines and I find that to be terrifying and scary and intense and I'm sure it's hard fucking manual labor and maybe that being in a high school setting would be a lot easier. Um, but I wonder if like generally if people find life no matter what kind of job you have to be easier than the grind if you're taking high school somewhat seriously or even not if you're not if you're blowing off high school. Oh, you're talking you about like academics the, aspect of high school. I am, but I'm also talking about like if you're completely blowing off high school too and not giving a shit. That's that's daunting and, and uh, you know, in its own way. Is high school the worst time? Even if Dave, I agree with you. I had a good oh. time in high school. Even though I'm like this yeah. was the worst. Looking back now, I'm like I went so hard thinking about tests and shit, um uh, finishing all my books, but now in real life, when I thought adulthood would be harder, but actually the hardest moments of your life are, are high school, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> here's where I'll cede some ground to you. Uh, all the emotions were bigger in high school. Uh-huh. Uh, so, like, all the great stuff was great, and all the bad stuff was literally the worst thing that had ever happened to me up until that point. And since then, I feel like it's, uh, you could have similar pitfalls and similar highs and lows but i think the thing that makes me dislike life after high school more than life during high school is high school has such a structure and all you need to do is figure out how to game or work the structure and it's fine there's going to be a test on these chapters read the chapters like fuck off mm. like that's like basically it there's so many weird questions that come up now in my normal life that I like have ended up now my work life is making deadlines for myself, which for, for a while was very hard, but it was what I needed to be a functional adult because I need uh, I need a goal to work towards that I could like leap over. So having like, you know, Friday quizzes was fine. It was like a <laughs> every week I got a pat on the back that like, yep, you're on track, buddy. Keep going. Mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, obviously the the personal stuff like. Uh, I don't know. Very light racism, but some racism and trying to understand it. Dating people, breaking Ooh. up, all of that shit was just like horrible. But now you have to pay taxes. In my case, if a pipe broke, I'd have to fix it. That sucks. But somehow mm. it doesn't feel as much as I, maybe. I, I mean, maybe I it is the like, emotional factor. I don't like the math of paying taxes, but I do like paying taxes because I'm paying like for the shit. the uh, social services that our government provides. You feel good about oh, like, blowing your salary on tax. I mean, it's not blowing, it's <laughs> contributing to the society. But if it, the society it can feel like a blow. Down, it can look, it can be good and it can feel tough paying everything. Yes, I mean, paying uh, bills, paying taxes, get, it's hard. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those are but those are all adult things. They, are. they come those are the trade-offs you make where you could be like, I'm just going to eat ice cream today and do it. Like that, those, those are the trade-offs you get. You get the, the training wheels taken off, but before the training wheels are taken off, you have to rub all your scabs down and make sure they bleed out completely because uh, I think uh, high school is just so much more forgiving of that shit. You think so? Yeah, like up until COVID, you know, like happened or maybe a little bit before COVID, there was no mental health day that I could take. I couldn't go to the 
the restaurant that I worked at by Lincoln Square and be like, I don't feel like hosting today. I'm having a hard day. They'd tell me to fuck off. Katie, what do you think? Did, did you go to a really academically intense high school? Uh, not my experience. No. I, I, was, a, I was around people who are, were very academic. But I don't find I think, myself... I was, in a, I was in a the most suburban, like full-spectrum type of high school setting imaginable, yeah. based on many conversations with people about their own high school experience. So just had it all. Like, every type of person, every, from every walk of life, I had a very good experience in that way, just seeing every type of person's experience in life. But um, no, I wouldn't... Was the was stress... Was the, was the stress that you're feeling you felt during high school tied to your nightmare theme, which is like, <laughs> you want to be good at this. That's what I'm hearing from your nightmares. Like mm. whether it's like a test yes. or like the play or like, it just feels like there's a lot of locker. stake in high school right? mm -hmm. where they tell you there is, I think we put a lot of yeah. pressure and, and maybe where I'm going with this and why I, I ultimately think this is a pop culture conversation is mm. that we do not talk about this. We, for all of the like, the John Hughes movies and the teen shows, they're all about like more than that moment. They, you know, Euphoria has so many layers on top of the high school experience. So every high school show is about okay. so much more than high school. Um, I, I just feel like high school itself, the emotional experience, the intensity, even if it's not, I, I wouldn't consider myself academic academically rigorous i was not in deep trying to take every ap class or something and trying to get into college uh it just felt like a lot and i don't see that experience reflected or unpacked many places but looking back at it right now as i watch someone who's about to enter the like test taking fray i'm like this shit is harder than what we do right now hmm. <laughs> yeah i like I took, I, I felt a lot of pressure, like, and my parents, like, I think rightly were just like, you are capable of doing well in school. You should do well so that you can go to a good college. And I really wanted to get out of South Carolina and not go, you know, to college with anyone I went to high school with. So I put that pressure on myself. And, but then I was shocked when I got to college and, like, met people who, like, grew up in, like, the suburbs of New York, where it was like, oh, yeah, well, everyone just expected to go to an Ivy. And I was like, oh, my God, that made people crazy. Like, I... I was took classes bad. that were really hard. I had to like get a tutor for pre-cal because I was so bad at it. Um, but the I don't I don't think of the homework aspect of high school in terms of pressure. I the thing that I feel glad to be away from is this sense of high school as being like, do I want to be this kind of person? Or do I want to be that kind of person? Like, who, how do I feel about this? Like, who who am I today? Like that, you know, it's the time that you're figuring that out. But I feel so grateful. To be past that and to like have a self-possession that was not possible then. I think to wrap this up, there's a great movie to be made. I'm hoping one of our listeners can make it. It has to be like Boiler Room or or like one of these or like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but it's about the high school experience. It has to be like an intense workplace moment, but you're in high school. Enough of like high school romance movies, enough of high school coming of age. Coming of age, it's so weak now. Let's like, let's talk about the work. And it's fucking a mm. workplace. You go to work every day in high school. And do we appreciate these kids who do it? Probably not. Because we don't think of it as work. It's work. It's work. You, you realize mm. your, your child is a good ways away from this still, right? Please don't put. I'm preparing myself. I mean, 
Gabber. <laughs> so what you should do is uh, take all of your pitches that you get for Polygon. You do her homework. <laughs> she gets to circle four pitches and then everybody's living their best life. Uh, mm-hmm. Imagine if we had to do pre-calc again. <laughs> I have thought about that, about how I took the AP calculus exam and passed. and I got a five. Could not. Wow, I got a three. I, I skated Weak. through that one. Uh, and I just, what, what could you do from calculus right now? Absolutely nothing. What? Ca- yeah, I, probably nothing. Not the be- faintest beginning of something. I've, what is a derivative? Sine, cosine, and tangent. I remember those. <laughs> I don't remember. They're like waves. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what they do mm-hmm. at all. Boy. I used to have fun making up equations that would make patterns on a graphing calculator, mm-hmm. and now now that's like that's like learning another language to me. You know, it, I talk, would not have any idea. To I do was it. talking about this with my husband. Do you do you think they have graphing calculators still, or do they just all do it on their phones? I mean, if if the kids am... today can't play drug wars, I don't know. <laughs> we talk I don't about know what life wars. is. <laughs> yeah, no, I think. Uh, I, yeah, I I would guess. They still have graphing calculators because, like, phones are fine. You probably need but them. They're not going to give you to make sure that kids can't cheat. Well, yeah, I just imagine how mm-hmm. distracting. Now we're just speculating yeah. on something many people listening to this know the answer to. So this is the end. Yeah, of the they're like, time. of course, there's the like, high school. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Do you ever th- do you ever think about it? week on fighting in the war room because it is february and we already talked about ant-man of the wasp quantum mania and it's in theaters and it's in theaters re-released we decide we decide to go back so another re-release a re-release episode of fighting in the war room we didn't go back all the way to 1998 this time no just in the year 2000 to re-watch the ang lee film crouching tiger hidden dragon i don't think i'd seen this movie in Maybe 10 years, I had memories of it, uh, but this was the first time that I sat down and, you know, sort of digested uh, this film, uh, knowing what we know about Michelle Yeoh, because at this time, I think what I saw in theaters, she was uh, a Bond girl. That's what I knew about her. And at least personally, I've since watched a bit more uh, Wuxia films in general. So now it's not just the Chinese legend about flying people, which I don't think is accurate anyway, but how I would have thought about this movie. Uh, it's a it's a really interesting uh, combat film. Um, Patches, I'll throw to you first. Did you see this in theaters when it, when it came out? I did not. Uh, I must have been one of the few people because this movie was huge. This was huge. kind of an unexpected hit, big. right? Like, was this a Miramax? Is this a Harvey Weinstein? Sony Pictures get Classics. That the way? Oh, okay, thank God. Uh, oh, right. Weinstein comes in after Crouching Tiger and kind of cashes in because he buys Hero, uh, House of Flying Daggers. There's like a wusha craze mm. after this movie. It's so big and, and goes to the Oscars. And I, I 
can't totally wrap my mind around why. Katie, do you feel like you have any idea why this movie was so big? Did it just like stars align? Where you know Chow Young Fat was was a known entity. Michelle Yeoh, kind of. I think she'd been in a Bond movie by the time yeah. this mm-hmm. movie came yeah, out. Yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies had come uh, out like uh, years earlier. Zhang Ziyi had this was her first movie. Um, so that she would go on to be in like Rush Hour Two and all sorts of stuff, Hollywood uh, crossover moments, but we had never seen her in anything. Um, and I don't really know why. Maybe the Matrix has something to do with why Crouching Tiger was so big. We had seen the same kind of choreography, kind of with uh, same cor- fight choreographer, I believe. Uh, Wu Ping, yeah, Wu Ping. Um, and but here in a totally different style, where the Matrix was goth and grungy and and bullets flying. Here it's so light and airy and and elemental. I don't think we'd ever seen anything like this. And yet, I was reading an old interview with. Ang Lee before the podcast where he talks about like I wanted to make this B movie that I had been watching over and over for my entire life and, and kind of upgraded to an A. I wanted to make well he he has described this movie over many years as Sense and Sensibility but with kick ass. That was his quote from an <laughs> EW interview for me. Uh, uh, like 10 year anniversary or something uh, which I find hilarious but like he's absolutely right about upgrading the B movie to an A in a lot of ways for me rewatching it I feel like I'm watching Ang Lee's Star Wars. This is what George mm. Lucas wanted to do to the stuff he loved as a kid. Ang Lee comes in and does the same, and it feels as legendary. I mean, this movie I find to be immaculate. It's very simple. It's very broad. It is a B-movie, but I find it to be very powerful and, and cunning. It's so romantic. Um, he really upgrades, to use Ang Lee's words, all of the elements that could be really obvious and, and flat. You know. Michelle Yao's character could be lusting after Chan Yun Fat. Zhang Zi's character could be falling head over heels, Disney princess style with this other guy he she meets in the desert. But no, it's like these women are fighting their fights and know what they want, but they also want love. Um, and over the course of this, where they're all holding knives to each other, swords to each other's necks, like this is this is this is deep. It feels really deep, even though I think it's all kind of simple and and maybe slight seems rude but it's just blunt um but and but airy and and uh, it's a revelation i know i know why this movie was so popular there's nothing like it that has ever kind of yeah. crossed over to america in this way still i wouldn't necessarily describe it as blunt because i think i missed the point of the movie when i first watched it maybe didn't like get it until now but like how this movie takes the b plot and then is like but what if we look at it from the woman's perspective is like really groundbreaking for its time. Which, like which, I was a fan. Which woman's perspective are you talking about? All of them. Yeah. Like we're into Michelle Yeoh's character first. Obviously, Jen is the hero of the film. Uh, we have to deal with the Jade Fox and Chiron Fact's character is there. But by the nature of who his character is and the fact that it's like, is uh, one major character trait is that he's withholding of love. He's like, like the ultimate unattainable man where he's like, nah, I can't be with you. I got to go meditate in the desert for a couple of exactly. years. And be back later. I had this, I had this brilliant moment where I just like let go of everything. So and it was great. And he's holding, her, he's holding like Michelle Yao's hand later in the movie. He's like, uh, I, I always wanted to hold your hand, but I just really, <laughs> I couldn't make time. You know, I'm a bit of a, yeah. 
<laughs> or when he's in his dying breath and she's like, you should just go meditate with it. And then he finally gets his shit together. But she's like, I know you're not going to talk to me. You're just going to meditate, you assholes, which you've been doing this and whole time. You, I was like, I'm just going to get my kiss in here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the uh, the entire film in a lot of places where even when we do a flashback and we could center on the, the young road, the dark cloud, uh, we, we don't. We, we stick with Jen. And I just think that message in this type of movie is something that wasn't regularly seen before it. Maybe with some other Michelle Yeoh ones like the female cop movies or whatever that's called, uh, which I haven't seen. But up uh, like if you watch a lot of weird classic wuxia films it's all dudes with weird facial hair doing stuff uh so this one just taking what is a very simple plot and sort of keeping the women at the front of it and making sort of the whole movie about uh whether you should be true to yourself or like follow your your training uh really clicked with me in a way that i think the first time i saw it i'm like who's gonna end up with the sword which was not the right question uh, for this movie. <laughs> I mean, but that it still is, is a question. question. I mean, the whole if people haven't seen this movie recently, it's a lot of it's it's a basic plot where they're transplant or they're they're transporting the the sword. It gets stolen uh, by Jen, who's palling around with the uh, Jade Fox. The Jade I mean, Fox. it's sort of a basic plot, but like I don't know. You there's like there are thirty minutes left being like, or who. Who are these people? Where are we? What like it? It takes some time to to get everything set up there. Because like, I don't Jen think it totally been, matters. Does is it? the governor's I mean, daughter? No, it doesn't. But like, it's just not that simple, especially when you're like not all that familiar with Wuxia or like this world at all. And I had seen the movie before, but it just it took me a minute to. I guess what I'm thinking, like simple and blunt, I'm like, this is the point I was just saying. Yeah, there's a lot of 19th century Chinese politics in play. You probably could know more about what's going on, but ultimately. It's, no, you hey, you stole to. the sword. Hey, we're going to get yeah. the sword back. Hey, you're the it person who's getting married. So much and of you don't a want Western to get in right. so many points where it's just like, we're kind of in this place where we're going to like make up the rules of a society, especially in the parts when it's in an actual desert where it just looks like a John Ford movie. That's pretty wild. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't realize there's big deserts in China, but why would there not be? Um, it's a big country. Yeah, huge. <laughs> I was probably thinking the first time I saw it when they referred to the West of like, oh, they're going, going to they New York. They went to like Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, are you are I don't based on many conversations with you over the years, don't think you're a big wuxia action uh, no. nut. But what do you make like does the action hit for you in this movie? Are do you go to movies to watch action scenes? Well, it made <laughs> you were talking about, you know, what made this movie such a hit, and that's exactly what you said about how people had never seen anything like it before. And I realized watching this that I still like haven't my martial arts knowledge is kind of non-existent. Like I just haven't sought out that many movies again. Cause it's like an entire country, several countries worth of films in this genre. And it's kind of hard to know where to like get your entry point other than, you know, the Jackie Chan movies that he made in America. Um, and this movie was made by Ang Lee who had made sense and sensibility and the ice storm. Like he was an established filmmaker for Western audiences. And I think people could come to it and it's made, you know, it's a big budget movie. Like it's beautiful. It's, it's accessible in a way that, you can imagine, you know, the I don't know, the Hong Kong equivalent of a Jason Statham movie, you know, like where you're just showing off the action. Um, but I love a good action sequence. Like, I think it's hard not to be dazzled by the action here, even if you don't know anything about martial arts. I mean, what actors in the martial arts movie tradition can do in addition to acting is huh. insane. It is insane 
insane just like you know we've been looking at michelle yo for a year with everything everywhere all at once and she does martial arts in that but like what she does in this and the, the extent of these fight sequences and how long they go on and you know something i don't know how much is flying in wuxia movies traditionally or did crouching tiger kind of like not invent it but no the, it the, he's extrapolating from a tradition of wire work and okay and like lighter than air without explanation and bouncing off the walls um i don't know if right. it had ever but I don't think any... been done to this degree yeah was, yeah it... leaning into it with like the the fight on top of the bamboo trees which is obviously like these people have no weights yeah that was something new uh that was like pretty amazing it's but... it looks amazing it looks yes. really good what a palate cleanser after ant-man and the wasp Quantumania, which <laughs> look dave and i were there to defend last week but i was watching this movie being like they shot this in a fucking giant temple or the scene where <laughs> the, the the scene where jen goes to the restaurant and it's just breaking all oh this God. shit they must have built oh, this yeah. enormous interior set where she gets to break all the wood and like collapse yeah. the the platforms and i'm like this is real that button mm -hmm. at the end of the scene where the staircase collapses like when she's great is real so funny that that scene reminded me so much of a western like the idea is like someone walking into some like outpost bar and like stirring shit up Love that's that. in so many westerns yeah but it also has the b-movie eastern side where everybody has to introduce themselves with their <laughs> ridiculous fucking fighting name that's <laughs> true i am the iron fist of the mountains and the dave gonzalez here <laughs> to claim my territory and the interview after where they're just like she was so mean why was she so mean <laughs> there's a lot of good comedic bits i mean uh, i've got the one guy who uh who is like the chump who wants to be part of the fight and wants to catch jade fox and uh, uh oh is that Bo? yeah Bo. the Maybe. like the when, guy the, like, when jade fox finally shows guard. up and the and the husband or the widower of the of the woman that jade killed earlier um get, tries to get his revenge but then this yeah. jump is like in really funny like him getting bonked in the face or this choreography where he's in the way of the fight so they're fighting around him around him is like yeah. a, just an astonishing piece of, of footwork and outmaneuvering and you know it's not green screen and like taped together in post or at least it really doesn't look like because there are a few shots of the movie where Chow Yun Fat is like running down a waterfall and you're like oh uh, you pasted him into this one um it's pretty clear it works just fine amazingly the wires did not carry him there but uh, but the bamboo scenes don't look like that. I don't no, really no. know. I mean, maybe they are pasted in there. Just I don't better, think they are. I think they are, are they, rigging them. They just like hanging on a like yeah. hanging from a wire by a bamboo. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Or or they built like a, a forest inside where they could rig them on. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I I don't know. Unlike Titanic, have not studied the making of Crouching Tiger as much. I should. <laughs> I, it's probably just a lot of people hanging on wires, like with their backs hurting and oh god it looks like it's it would be so absolutely painful I, must have been so hard to make what's your point like michelle yao i've been thinking a lot about this oscar campaign with everything everywhere all at once like what are we revering her what do you think people are revering her for i mean the emotional performance the the existential part or the the mother daughter stuff is why she's getting this award or, or got this oscar nomination and and i just don't see people talking about the fight and the choreography and this history of being an amazing fighter as well as this woman that you can stare at on camera for like the scenes where she's just longingly looking at Chow Yun-Fat are, are powerful in their own right and Crouching Tiger 
And then she just whips ass. Like, she just kicks a, a million butts of this movie. The the fight that she has when Zhang Zia first shows up and and steals the Green Destiny sword. Wow, it's it's intense. Uh, and there, uh, to your point, Katie, there's so many moves. And the camera is whipping back and forth. Ang Lee's or, like, camera choreography to capture these fights, I thought, was really innovating. It's way different than The Matrix. It's way different than anything I see in movies today the way that it felt like he used some sort of like shallower lens because he's like looping around the fighters and it's almost like we were talking about um soderbergh's no sudden death or no sudden move the other day and that crazy lens that he used that would like warp the frame when he gets up in close on people's faces and i felt like ang lee was using that lens in this movie to uh, the way the swords and the spears would warble as they clash the actors would warble because of the lenses. It's just amazing choices in terms of capturing these fights. The sound like, design of the sword, like it has this like wobbly sound that it makes the when sound anybody gets it. Also I looked it up. It didn't get not. It didn't. Uh, it won four Oscars. Um, it did not what win. What did it win? Sound. Uh, oh, hang on. Uh, international feature. Uh, then foreign language mm. film. A uh, score, which rules, is such a good great. score. Um, and it's yeah. like. 80% drums. Um, hang on, I'm almost there. Uh, cinematography Ma on the cello, and I think, um, score too. Uh, yeah, it, it also went cinematography and art direction. Great um, wins. Yeah, deserved. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it looks amazing. I, uh, I, I think that although I do like that first uh, scene of the theft because it involves amazing rooftop running, uh, I think my favorite fight scene is her second showdown with Jen when Jen has Green Destiny and Michelle Yeoh's character just has to pick more and more different types of weapons to keep trying to yeah. oppose her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be because there's a lot of those sequences uh, that are done high, so you could do like uh, stunt double or body replacements if you need to, but there's also a lot done where you're on the faces of both the actresses and Michelle Yeoh's working with a bunch of different type of weapons and Zhang Zhi's uh, keeping her choreography with her two fingers like she's keeping balance, even though the sword is like flailing all around and doing crazy stuff and bending. Uh, but like I, I uh, Java's been watching a lot of uh, Gene Kelly movies recently. And so we've been that sort fun. of. Oh, yeah, it is fun. I've been sort of thinking about the the similar choreography needs between like a good fight sequence like that and something like a Gene Kelly big dance tap sequence and the amount of precision that's in there uh, is staggering. Uh, I'm not going to say it's better than all Gene Kelly tap sequences because that'd be dumb, but I do think it stands up there with like some of the best dance choreography that I've ever seen. Uh, just with all these weapons flying around and these two amazing actresses sort of having a showdown. I was very impressed. I, I guess, Can I ask a real oh yeah, dumb... Oh, hang on. I was, I was, I was trying to wrap this up. So you yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. Let's go. I got, I got a dumb question, Love but that. I had to Google it and I couldn't have done this. I, I saw this movie in theaters in excellent circumstances. Speaking of high school, I was on a college tour with my dad in Oberlin, Ohio, and they had this old like movie palace and they were showing it and Ooh. I had not seen, this is I, after the Oscars, I think. Um, wow. And I had not seen it in South Carolina. It probably didn't play near me. And so we went and saw it on this big screen. It was awesome. Um, but when the movie ended, I Googled, what does the ending of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon mean? Because I didn't remember <laughs> it being so 
um vague honestly and uh i want to know what you guys think the end of the movie means when she when she jumps off the bridge i think she gets her wish what's her wish to, to go live in the desert with the dude why can't she just go live in the desert with the dude without jumping off that bridge because that's not the movie we're watching katie this is the <laughs> katie, this is the dancing on bamboo tree movie yeah, did you see the whale it's similar that you both like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just blown off i did like the idea of her her wish being to be with him and it ending with her like serenely floating away from him. Those things don't line up for me. Like it feels to me like she is leaving him and pursuing a wish to do beyond her own. Isn't she, she, she says she wants to do the whole movie. Isn't she like... Is she doing what like, Chow Yun-Fat does? She's and, free. Like, live in a different... So is she... That's 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 it. Is it's the given the outline that the movie gives you framework wise, you want her to be free but you also want her to be with Lo. Mm-hmm. And so Lo has wrapped up this fantastic legend uh, in the middle of the movie and they bring it back so they could have it both ways at the end of the mm. movie. Like, she's not tumbling to her death, so the legend says her wish is going to come true. Lo looks a little sad, so maybe y- y- we're wrong, but she's definitely free. That's why we okay. end on her face. I like that. I saw. I read one thing being like, well, she knew she had to kill herself because Chow and Fat died. I was like, these wow. people can fly. What? That makes yeah, no sense. <laughs> She's very clearly flying into those mists. Yeah, no, I think I think it's definitely what Patch has said. It's number one, she's free. But I do think, uh, given what we learn about that culture and their use of legends, I, I think she gets her wish. I so think she, they get to go so live in she the and Lo might get to stick together, but maybe it's more on her terms than living in a cave in the desert. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I like that. I can imagine a lot of like message boards in 2000 that are now deleted just being like, what the fuck is this movie ending? Do you think that the movie uh, to truly wrap up, do you think the movie has a legacy? I was interested. I, I was, I was excited that Sony pictures classics was re-releasing the movie in a 4k transfer this month. I don't think as many people saw it as Titanic. Uh, it was not as many. I'm looking at box office mojo now. It was on 475 okay. screens. It had well, a $361 per theater average. Not, not the best. Not great. But do people talk about this movie now? Does it have a place in movie history other than a kind of an oddity crossover? Does it feel influential? It doesn't feel like the Matrix to me, but certainly it had its moment of of you know, as I said at the top of the segment, we got Hero, we got House of Flying Daggers, there was a Waksha import moment, but... We got Zang Z, poured it over. Is it inspiring people, or is it kind of bottling up a genre in a way where it wouldn't? It, it is a genre in itself. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what this movie's it's... legacy is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it certainly, like, has lingered as like a you know a very good oscar nominee a movie that introduced a lot of people to michelle yo like i guess i had seen tomorrow never dies but like when i think of her that is certainly the first movie that i think of i mean the history of chinese films in america is so complex for reasons that mostly have to do with governments than the movies themselves so it, i mean i would bet it is the chinese language film that most Amer- that the most americans have seen i can't think of another one mm. Uh, no, I would. I would say big brain patches. Uh, this is like baby step number three towards superhero cinema. Oh. Wow, like taking over because Ang Lee goes from this to the Hulk. These people are superheroes. Like, I'm sorry, but that's by the qualifications that we would now think of cinematic superheroes. 
These people are it. Did you see them hit away all but one poison dart of a thousand <laughs> poison darts in that climactic sequence? Um, and then, yeah, I don't think it's a mistake that, that Ang Lee jumps from this to the Hulk. You know, like it's sure. A, this is in that visual direction. This is pushing it. Um, I would say that maybe it contributed to more American Wuxia, but I th I don't think it could it could have overcome the Matrix even if it wanted to. Uh, yeah. At this point, in terms of what that was contributing, but yeah, I see these. I see these lines running to superhero movies. I, it makes me want to watch uh, some scenes in Shang Chi again. That's for sure. Uh, I, one thing I find fascinating is that this movie did not do well in China. This was not a popular film in China. It was only popular in America, where I just don't think it. Is it because it's so like West, like more like an American movie than a Chinese movie? I think, like the yeah, reason I think we that... liked it, or the reasons they didn't. I think that might be it. I, I would need to dig deeper, and there are more authorities online than me when it comes to this topic, but just an interesting fact that it did not have... Uh, well, is this, a cro is this an American crossover, or is it an American film in Chinese uh, with yeah, Chinese I mean, actors and Chinese like, heritage Ong, at its core? Ong Lee was, in many ways, American oh, yeah. by the time this movie was Absolutely. made, and James Seamus was a co-writer of it. Um, it's interesting reading on Wikipedia that the uh, four lead actors have like such different accents that it was distracting for people, huh. Um, huh. which is a you know a level of nuance I cannot begin to understand. But um, yeah, you can definitely imagine <laughs> like I don't you know think about like the Chinese American co-production epics that have come out like in the last ten years where we've just been kind of like yeah this is this isn't for us. <laughs> right. Was was Zhengzi's character also named Jen in the other in the China, in the original version? I mean, I feel like she must have been because, like, none of the other ones it sounds have, like they're none of the other ones have like weird American eyes names, right? And it kind of sounds like it. So, like, I yeah. don't. Maybe that maybe that just irked people. I off. mean, maybe there's just like a more complex way of translating that that we yeah. don't understand. Or there's an, there are probably parts of this movie that are so on the nose about the genre that it probably plays like you know a spoof movie to mm -hmm. people who are actually looking for this. It's, if you're looking for something complex that involves martial arts, I don't think this is really it, uh, story-wise, but maybe that was it? I don't know. I'm also, I'm Patches, up, when you say oh, it wasn't successful, are you talking about well-reviewed? Are you talking about box office tape? Box office. That's hard to measure. I've been looking into this recently about when the Chinese box office boomed, hmm. and around 2002, they realized they had like a serious problem <laughs> and made a push. To get more people into the movie theaters, so, maybe it was so it might have done okay. A hit. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but I like yeah. It's well, not, if you it's were like, in uh, China it's... during the release of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, please let us know. Send us an email or tweet at us. Uh, but this movie, I had a great time watching Crouching Tiger again, and I would highly recommend people go check it out because Cocaine Bear ain't it. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. It sounds like we're doing a, a TV grab bag instead of talking about Cocaine Bear. Uh, so in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, Letterboxd, Mr. Patches. 
And uh, we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to just hours and hours of us talking about movies, television, anxieties from our past. Uh, it's all there on fightinginthewarroom.com. Pooping. Only two weeks ago. Um, it's all there. <laughs> fightinginthewarroom.com. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You could email all of us at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. And you could hear more of my podcasting. Oh, nope. Trial by Content has this week off. We'll see you next week on Trial by Content. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on Little Gold Men. This week we did our um, 2003 Oscars flashback episode. Um, not the Crouching Tiger year, a couple of years after that. Um, it's very fun to listen to made me want to watch kings of new york um but i haven't figured out a way to make that one a topic on this podcast did, did, yet. did you watch what what is a uh like uh did you watch the eminem movie no i mean we watched the i watched the ceremony itself which was uh, a journey that i can tell you all about um so anyway go listen to that uh you can find me on twitter at katie rich and uh we are all on twitter at f-i-t-w-r where you can um tell us if you saw the great wall and what you thought of it or you can or or if you were in china when crouching tiger came out we especially want to hear about that uh or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was in honor of cocaine bear what's your most memorable cinematic cocaine moment i just realized i phrased that in a way you could out yourself on twitter it's about cocaine is in the movie just, I mean, just clarify. I don't know if tweeting about doing cocaine is going to get the cops after you, but uh, let's not test that. I just don't think it's a good thing to tweet about. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Yeah.